It is good when they say, be in the house of the Lord. And I would begin by saying, you've been blessed the last four weeks, actually, by professional preachers. So, guess what? (laughs) I'm not a professional preacher. I hope the disparity is not so great that you notice. That's my hope, anyway. Who was here last week and remembers what the key verse was? was running on the screen this morning. Psalm 34.4, who knows it? I can always call on you, Randy. Anybody, you remember? I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Yeah, I sought the Lord and He answered me and He delivered me from all my fears. And that's the sermon, there you go. No, actually... Uh, I want to do that right now because I need to be delivered from all my fears. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, would you be present in this place? Would you open our hearts and our minds and our spirits? And would you get myself and my pride and whatever else is in the way of your word and move it aside and speak through me so these people might leave with a blessing of the glory of you? And I ask this in your name. Amen. Ah, see, all my fears are gone now. We've been asked, maybe the next eight weeks, I think you said, we're speaking out of the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is actually broken into five books. Uh, Book one is a lot about Psalms you would know. Uh, Psalm 23 Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Makes me lie down in green pastures. Delivers me beside still waters. Psalm 1, which really sets up the whole book of Psalms, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree... Planted by streams of water, who brings forth fruit in season, whose leaf never withers, but not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. The wicked now shall not stand in the judgment, nor with the righteous. Because all the righteous do will flourish, but the wicked will perish. Book one talks about a lot about the Davidic covenant and David being the king. Book 2 slides in and ends with Solomon, who was his successor and his son. Book 3 is an interesting one because we think of the Psalms as all this great positive, praising, great stuff. But book 3 in the Psalms gets pretty ominous. What do you do when there's no king on the throne? Psalm 89 is the last psalm in that book. It's really lamenting. And Psalm 88 is the only psalm in psalms that has zero praise. Zero. And listen how Psalm 88 ends. I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me? Hide your face from me. 
From my youth, I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. That's probably not a psalm we all jump up to read every day. But it shows where they were. So the question is being asked, how do we live without a king? We live with faith that the Lord is in charge in spite of what circumstances look like. So I chose a psalm out of book four, which answers that question, Psalm 103, which may be a favorite for a lot of you. I I like it because I love what it has to say. If I had a hundred weeks, I think you could preach on this psalm every week because every line has a powerful phrase in it that you could expand on. I also love it because psalms being a book of prayer and poetry, it's a rare one to me anyway in English that sounds like poetry. It flows. It's beautiful. But here's the real reason why I like it. When I was a child, we did a lot of responsive reading in church. And this was a common one that we did. And I always remember my father when we did responsive reading. And when he responded, all of a sudden his voice would change somehow. You know, bless the Lord, oh my soul. I don't know how he did it. But it made me squeeze closer to him. I felt good. I felt comfortable. I felt protected. Felt like he was my dad. Makes me cry a little bit. Because I miss him. But Psalm 103 is one that I remember him from. That we always did. So what I'd like to do, as we read this psalm, I'd like to read it with you. So do we have it on the board? Would you read along, please? Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. That may have been your part. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed Like the eagles, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Read this part. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Ah. 
father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And his righteousness with their children's children. With those who kept his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will, say it with me, praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion, praise the Lord, oh my soul. How great is that? A lot of favorite parts in there for me. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And I love my version that says, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. Wind blows over it and it is gone. This place remembers it no more. So what I want to use 103 for today is actually as a picture of your king. This is a picture of God. Look at all the benefits. Look at all he gives. Look at all he knows. And then I want to see how we're doing as subjects of the king. If you go to Acts 17, you find that Paul and Silas are preaching in Thessalonica. And like always, Paul does what he does, and every Sabbath day he goes to the synagogue. And it seems like the Jews did what they always do. They weren't happy. So they bring all these charges. They bring all these things, and it causes a huge commotion. But they say... The people that have been turning the world upside down have now come here. And they are against Caesar because he says Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is Lord. And that's treason. Because this cult had formed in Rome. Caesar was a god. Caesar was Lord. But now they were saying there's another king. Jesus. We live in a world. It's not hard to see it. It seems like the wicked seem to prosper. The righteous suffer. Everything in the world is exalted. And I mean everything. Except God Almighty. This world is ruled by the prince of darkness. There's another kingdom. 
But to speak and say Jesus is Lord is like saying treason. And if you doubt that that same stuff goes on today, where would you go? Where would you stand on the corner in China or in Iran or wherever it might be? Jesus is Lord. That's treason, my friends. They'll come to get you. And that seems to be coming a little closer here. I don't know what that looks like, but it can look not so physically dangerous, but it can certainly be dangerous in other ways. The exciting thing is, in those places where there is much oppression, that's where Jesus' kingdom is growing the most. That's where his power is being shown. This kingdom of God is an overarching theme of the Bible. If you think of John the Baptist or Jesus, right? Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus told all kinds of parables. The kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. The kingdom of God is like this hidden treasure. It's like all these things. So they talked about it all the time. The interesting thing was, that was not the kingdom, even though that sounds great. And when we read 103, the king sounds amazing. That's not the kingdom they wanted. And so they crucified him, right? I shouldn't have said that, Perry. I said, right. She said, never say right all the time. So I will not say right again, I hope. (laughs) If Jesus was here today, sitting on a stage maybe, and you each had an opportunity to ask him one question, what would it be? The apostles... The twelve, the disciples, they had traveled with him for three years. Watched and listened to his teaching. They'd seen the miracles. Things only one from God could do or God himself. They'd heard it all. And they had a chance as they stood at the ascension to ask one last question. What profound question did they ask? Will you now restore the kingdom of Israel? You always wonder if Jesus just hit himself on the forehead sometimes. All of this and all you've seen, you still don't see my kingdom. You still don't get it. My kingdom's in here. It's not a visible kingdom. It's not going to give you power like you think. But they had not gotten off of that yet. I almost said right. I caught myself. They had not gotten. They had a vision of the kingdom. My question is, what's your vision of God's kingdom? And are you trying to make God fit into your vision of the kingdom? No matter what he's doing and he's presenting all of these things like he did to the disciples. And they said, okay, we saw you send out the 72. We thought that was it. We saw Palm Sunday. We thought that would be amazing. Here we come, the king, Hosanna. You didn't do it. We saw you resurrected. We knew that was it. And now we're at the ascension. Jesus, we've been pretty patient. Are you going to restore the kingdom now? What's Jesus' answer? 
No, I'm going to make you witnesses of me. You're going to take the kingdom of mine that's not visible and you're going to help people see it. So the Greek word, now I sound like a preacher, huh, Dwight? The Greek word for witness is martyria. What word would we get out of that? Martyr. Okay? And you know that there were tons of martyrs and there still are. Many died because all you had to do to save your life was say, Caesar is Lord. But the true Christian who really meant it said, Jesus is Lord. And I really, if I had time, I would love to tell you some amazing stories of martyrs and what they did. But I don't have time. So we're going to follow the apostles and see how we got here. And we have Matthew 26, I think, on the board. Matthew 26, verse 35. And you know the story in the Last Supper. and all, But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And we all know the story of Peter. But here's the line. I don't think... I'm sure I've read it, but I don't think I ever saw it before. And all the other disciples said the same thing. All of them said, I will die for you. Right? Oh, I did it. So we move on and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples, those bold disciples, and found them what? Sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter? What? You said you were going to do all these things? You would die for me? I just asked you to watch for one hour and you couldn't stay awake. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, 
Let us go. Here comes the betrayer. Huh. And then we come to the big line. Remember, 35, Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And then we come to verse 56. And the back half of 56 says, he's been betrayed, he's been arrested, and all this chaos is going on. And then it says, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Where are we in that line? Because I'm sure on some days we say, Lord, I'll do anything for you. But you know, I have this idea of what my kingdom is supposed to look like. So make sure you do it that way. Otherwise I may flee. What happened between the Garden of Gethsemane and like Paul in Thessalonica or with all the apostles, the guys who all deserted him and fled... Eleven of them became martyrs. That's a big jump. I will die for you, but now I'm running when I really have to die. To actually dying. John was the only one who did not. Was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And spent that time and the end of his life in isolation. What happened? I would submit three things. First, they were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. They saw Jesus. They understood the truth of the gospel, the truth of the cross, the truth of the forgiveness of sins. So when someone said to them, are you a Christian? They would say, yes, I am a Christian. Because deep in their soul, they knew what had occurred. And what Jesus had done. Second, they had nothing to lose. We have a lot to lose, right? They had nothing to lose. Paul talks about, I count all the things I've gained in the world as dung. And actually in the translation I learned, that the word dung translated in the Bible is not really dung. It's every other word you can think of for dung. Okay? It's as bad as it can get. Words we don't speak, but Paul says, I count all the world as dung save for Christ. He didn't care. He was not worried about the world. He had nothing to lose. Stories told. St. Thomas Aquinas comes to Rome and he's walking around with the Pope. And the Pope is showing him all of Rome and look at all the beautiful buildings and the statues and the, the paintings and all this amazing stuff. And he turns to Aquinas and he says, you see, Aquinas, no longer does the church have to say, silver and gold have I none, like Peter said. And Aquinas said, and maybe that's why no longer can the church say, take up your bed and walk. You have stuff, but you have no power. Because when the church through Constantine became 
the religion of the known world, now they had something to lose. They had position, they had political correctness, they had possessions, they had status. So I'm not as quick as I thought to say Jesus because you have something to lose now. Third and most important probably is Pentecost. When the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Jesus had told them to wait in Jerusalem and power will come upon you. And when that power came and they availed themselves to that power, these same disciples who left him and fled were filled with courage and power and words. We need to make ourselves available to that power. If you are a believer, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Martin Luther said, bold, accurate preaching of the gospel always brings conflict. So I I, should I bring conflict today? No, not really. But what's most of what you hear about the gospel? And it's not a lie. But what do we all hear preach all the time? God's love is unconditional. Right? God loves everybody. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, it is. And we end up with all these unbelievers who come in and say, well, that's fantastic. God loves everybody. I don't have to do anything. And there's no strings attached. No, no, no. We do not save ourselves. But we don't go on like we were before. Psalm 103, what does it say? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him or reverence him. Verse 13, as the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who Fear him. 17, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Solomon, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, finishes it with what? Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and obey his command. That's the whole duty of man. Unless you think it's all Old Testament stuff, what was Jesus' answer to the disciples when they said, will you restore it now? He says, all power has been given to me. Go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then what does he say? The line we seem to skip over all the time. Teaching them to obey all I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The great thing about our God is what he commands us to do, he empowers us to do. Because he knows in our sinful state, we can't get it done at all. 
And he knows in our sinful state, we will do just what the disciples did and run. How do we become what these disciples became? Know the gospel. Know the gospel. Look at your life and say, I have nothing to lose. Or do we have other kingdoms? We have thousands of them, right? They wanted a kingdom where the kingdom of Israel was restored. You didn't do it. They crucified him. What's our kingdom? Lord, I'm all in. Would you please give me a great job? Would you please bless my kids? Would you give me a perfect family? Would you make America great again? Right? I'm sorry, I can't help saying We have all these kingdoms and we're all that way. And we're all in with God unless he makes it our way. Would you make my church like I want my church to look? And would you give it what I want it to be? Because I have this vision of the church. It's not our vision. We're not king. He's king. Would you let him be king? And then if you read 103, I ask you to go home and read it over and over and over. If you know that king... You'll be blown away. You don't know anybody else on this world like that who can do that for you. But you have to reverence him. You have to obey him. That's my king. I praise your king. Just like Psalm 103 ends... Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. May you be able to do that. May you praise the Lord all the time. May you seek him day and night. May you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Would you pray with me? Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. We know we've fled from you many times. We are grateful for your forgiveness and for bringing us back. We ask that you would open our minds and our hearts to the truth of your invisible kingdom and that you would give us the power to make it visible to all those around us. And as we do communion this morning, we commemorate what you did for us on the cross. May you be present in the bread and the wine. May your name be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.